You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Today we're in week two of a three-part series that we're looking, we've entitled the series, uh, God is Bigger. And we're looking at the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. Now, let me review, in case you weren't here. We had to take a break last week because uh, Glenn Burris spoke to us from all three campuses. And um, so if you weren't here two weeks ago, um, or just because it's been two weeks and we forget. Let me bring us all up to speed here on the same page. So where we're at in the Bible here is the Israelites have wandered for 40 years. They've now entered into the promised land, and Joshua's the leader. And uh, they've now established their territory. There's peace all around, and things are looking good. But Joshua is an old man, and he warns the people. He says, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. When Joshua and his generation end up, when they eventually die, they're left with, the remaining generations are left with the stories about God but not the personal experiences of God's deliverance, which Joshua and his generation had experienced during their 40 years. The stories alone weren't enough to keep them, keep their faith, which is really a story to, which is, a, this is a something for all of us to realize, that those of us who are raising kids, is that our, the stories about God and things are necessary and important, but unless our kids encounter Jesus Christ for themselves, they're just stories. And they then too will eventually fall away from faith because the stories alone are not enough to sustain faith. It requires that personal experience. But anyway, so what happened was that is that just like like, like, um, Joshua had predicted, he said the the Israelites would fall away, they would worship other gods and they would do things they weren't supposed to do and God would allow a foreign or neighboring tribe or an army to come and invade and things were just (laughs) terrible. And uh, it was just, it was really bad. And <clears throat> the, the Israelites would, would repent and they cry out to God, God save us. And God would send a judge, an individual that would be raised up. They would then lead the Israelites against these occupying forces and Israel would win. And while this judge was alive, Israel continued to follow God and do the right things. But when that judge died... They would revert back to their evil ways again. And the cycle continued on and on. So by the time we get to Gideon, Gideon is actually the fourth of these judges. So this has been a cycle that had been going on for a little bit of time here. By, uh, so by the time we actually get to uh, Judges chapter 6, Israel had fallen away from God and the Midianites were now the group that were occupying and were bringing trouble. And that's where our story uh, picks up. We're, gonna, we're actually going to read the same verse, the same verses that we read a couple weeks ago as our launching point. Um, so if you want to follow along on the screen, we're in Judges chapter 6. <clears throat> or if you want to follow along on your uh, own uh, piece of electronics, or if you have a real Bible. I think some people still have some of those these days, don't they? <clears throat> The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Do not, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. 
The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of, out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the time we've already had uh, to be in your presence. And Lord, I know that some of us have already encountered you, have, have felt those shackles break, uh, Lord, off our own lives. And Father, what we have sensed in the spirit, we anticipate will actually become reality in our lives in the days ahead. Uh, so Lord, thank you for that. And Lord, as we, at this point in time now, Lord, where we uh, take a look at Gideon and we look at his life and may we understand more about what this actually means to us as well. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever um, been skiing, <clears throat> taking a ski lift up a mountain, and uh, you get to the top? When you get there, you discover you've got some choices to make. You can either get off and go to your left, you know, or go in one direction, and take one trip down the mountain. But you could go a different direction, actually take a completely different experience, a completely different part of the hill Completely different experience. And it's interesting, you've got the same lift going up, but you could have completely different experiences down the mountain depending upon what direction you go when you get to the top. Well, the ski lift is kind of a metaphor for the way we're looking at this sermon because the sermon, actually, we're, we're going up the same Bible lift. Two weeks ago, we took one way down and we looked at this idea of... Um, <clears throat> of circumstances and how Gideon allowed his circumstances to influence his outlook on life. And that things weren't going well and it caused him to actually doubt God altogether. And then we learned that we need to view our circumstances through God instead of viewing God through our circumstances. So today we're going to take this, the ski lift up the same Bible passage. However, instead of getting off where we did, we're going to go a little bit further and take a different path down the, the hill. Because the story of Gideon doesn't end there in verse 16. What's interesting is the very next verse, verse 17. The very next verse says this. Gideon, the angels just said, um, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Ammonites together. Gideon then says, give me a sign. It is really you talking to me. And then, ironically, he actually, he leaves this angel and goes inside his tent and makes a meal. Says he makes a goat and kicks him out of a stew and broth and bread and he prepares it all and then he brings it out. And the angel tells him, he says, listen, I want you to take the meat that you've just prepared and the bread and put it on a rock. Then I want you to take the broth that's in the pot and pour it all over everything. Just soak everything up. And so Gideon does that and the angel takes his staff and he touches it. And when the tip of his staff touches the meat and the bread, flames shoot up and consume the food that's there on the rock. Instantly, that got Gideon's attention, you think? Yeah. Instantly, what's interesting, his, his response is, um, he says, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the reason why that's significant in the old days, the, the, or in the Old Testament, the idea was that if you actually saw God, you would die. And there's precedence for that. Remember when the, the Israelites with the ark and the ark was, they were going through the wilderness and it started to slide off what they, or they were, the wagon they were carrying on? 
And the guy reached out to stop it, and he was killed instantly just for trying to save it. So the idea of that when you have this kind of encounter with God, your life is on really shaky ground. It's just really kind of a sobering thing. We know this is what he was thinking because the angel immediately responds to him, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. Okay, so he had that. Gideon had this divine encounter with an angel, and that still wasn't enough. Later on, we see that in verse 33, the Midianites had joined forces with some other tribal groups and were now um, assembled, and they're getting ready to attack the Israelites. And then again, God tells him, I want you to go do this. And Gideon says this. He said, God, if it's really you, if it's really you tell me this, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to do something for me. He says, I wanna, I'm going to put a wool fleece on the ground. And if it's really you, I want to wake up in the morning and this wool fleece will be wet from dew, but I want all the ground around it to be dry. Sure enough, Gideon wakes up the next morning. It says that he actually took the fleece and wrung out a bowl full of water from the fleece. So it wasn't just damp. I mean, it was soaking, sopping wet that he could wring out a bowl full of water, but the ground around it was completely dry. Then Gideon says this. He says, let me actually read what he says. He says, do not be angry with me. He realizes he's, uh, uh, let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. So let's flip it. The fleece dry, everything else is wet. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Now think about that for a moment. An angel came to Gideon and declared God's intent. You know, greetings mighty warrior. God's going to do this through you. That wasn't enough. The angel called down fire from heaven. That wasn't enough. The fleece was wet and the ground was dry, and that wasn't enough. It took three separate miracles from God to convince Gideon that God was with him. Three separate instances where God intervened miraculously for Gideon to say, okay, well, maybe we're on to something here for him to believe that this was happening. <clears throat> the question for me is, why? Why was Gideon, why was, why was he struggling like this? And we know it wasn't from the external circumstances. Just the way he's describing that what is going on here, that all the doubt was coming from within. This was an internal struggle he was having. His fears were working against him. He literally was working against himself. But isn't that the way it is for all of us? Like Gideon, you can be your own worst enemy. Afraid of not being good enough, of not measuring up. There's fear of failure. There's fear of being overwhelmed. Well, what causes that? What causes that kind of insecurity? And there could be any number of reasons. I think a few of them might be. One is that you're, you're in a toxic environment. Some of us grew up in situations or encountered where people weren't very affirming or maybe we're in a work environment where we're put down more than encouraged and, and there were, the negatives are brought up more so than the positives, but there's an environment that influences that. Or maybe it's because we like to compare ourselves with others. You know, uh, as, as, 
as, as a, someone who speaks every week, sometimes it's intimidating when you hear some others and you realize, holy smoke, was that really good? And you realize, I'm not them. And we compare ourselves with others. And notice though, our, our human nature is, we don't usually compare ourselves to people who are worse than us. You know? You know, so we're like, oh, yeah, I'm really good. I'm, I'm really good. No, we, we always go the other direction, don't we? We always go, oh, look how far I am from where I could be. And that's the direction we tend to go. So sometimes we feel insecurity. Sometimes we have fears because of we compare. Sometimes it's this critical inner voice. Sometimes we're just wired that we're critical of ourselves. We're harder on ourselves than anyone is. And and let's just be honest, sometimes I think there's a, a specific, there's a spiritual tactic of Satan against us that causes us to have that. And so there could be other reasons as well. But what's harsh, hard about this is that the problem with that with insecurity and fears and things is that they can have devastating consequences on us, for us. <clears throat> Insecurities create a flawed view of who we are and what we can do. It skews our perspective. We don't see ourselves accurately. We don't see ourselves the way we should. And it limits our ability to do what God might be asking us to do. Insecurities cause us to make excuses rather than take action. Because of that fear, we can come up with all kinds of reasons why that's a bad idea or why this wouldn't work. And we make excuses rather than doing something. And insecurities can cause us to say no when God tells us to go. So it can actually lead to just disobedience when we feel God is actually saying to us. <clears throat> the fact is that if we don't confront the insecurities and the lies behind them, they can rob you of your potential and God's work in and through your life. So the question then becomes, how do we confront these? How do we deal with these and how do we address these? You know, I've been pretty open um, about the fact that uh, I'm a nervous flyer. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I'll get on a plane. I've never not gotten on a plane, but I'm a, I'm a nervous flyer. And I have this routine when, when I fly. First off, I always get a window seat because I need to be able to look out the window and just, you know, if there's turbulence, whatever, I need to be able, if I look out the window, I can see clouds. Okay, I can just, okay, give me context. I, the worst thing, if I'm sitting in the aisle and someone closes the window and I can't see out and I, that, so I have to, I always have a window seat, number one. Number two, I have a weather app. And so I know what the weather's like between where I'm at and where I'm going. And so, all right, all right, I see there's some clouds here, storms. All right, so about 20 minutes in, and we're probably, okay, so, so I have it mapped out in my mind what this experience is probably going to be like. I also know that, you know, it says on your ticket or when you make your reservations how long the flight is. That's not the actual time. That's gate to gate. I want to know wheels up, wheels down. So there's another app you can get that actually tells you actual flight time. So I know what that looks like. And if I can't find that, I actually, I get on the plane, and the first thing I ask the flight attendant there, how long is our what's, wheels up, wheels down time? I don't know, let me ask the, flight, the pilot. She'll do the other stuff, you know, 80 minutes or 90 or whatever the flight is and gives me the time. And, and, and here's why. I'm fine taking off and climbing, even, you know, even though that's kind of a bumpy time. I'm fine with that. It's the flat air turbulence that always gets me. The moment, the instant we start our descent, I'm good. Because even, even if it's bumpy, I'm okay. It's, it's the flatter stuff. So I know that every flight, 30 minutes before you're supposed to land is when you start your descent. So I know for, okay, so let's just say it's an hour flight. I know I've got about 10 minutes of climbing. 
and I've got 30 minutes in of descent. So I've got about 20 minutes of flat air cruising that I've got to deal with. So I'm telling you, I have issues. Betsy will tell you that I have issues with this. So, but I have it all measured out. I know what, and so, you know, the, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The reality, the reality never comes anywhere near close to the actual experience or th- that I've dreamed up in my mind. So the, the reality is never what I think when I create in my mind and all this anxiety. And I, I, by the time I land, it's like, why do I do that to myself? Why do I create all this emotional angst and waste all this emotional energy on something that's just really not that big a deal? But, you know, so I, I get on the plane and I count the minutes until we begin the descent is how this works for me. And that leads me to the first thought about how we actually address insecurities. First one is, the first thought is that you have to face them to defeat them. When we understand that God is speaking to us, that alone, just the fact that God is speaking to us should be enough, should be sufficient to give us confidence to move forward. That wasn't enough for Gideon. He wanted not one, not two, but three signs from God that this was him and that God was leading him to do something specific. So I have to ask, what might God want you to do that you're afraid to do? What is it you're afraid of? Identifying your insecurities is the first step to defeating them. Just being, just being honest with yourself and having the, the ability to be self-aware and to rethink, all right, what's behind this? Why am I stressing about this? And being able to then address it. Identifying it and facing it are the first thing we need to do. Second thought is that we need to live confidently knowing that God is with you and that God is able. You know, I've said multiple times that God never promises we will be free from the challenges and adversity. We're going to face them. Just like Gideon, God does promise us that he will be with us through the challenges and adversity. We won't be free from them, but he will be with us through them. Um, I, 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 uh, this past week, I was with uh, Ron and Carrie, and uh, Ron was um, <clears throat> talking about an experience that leading up to the surgery and just about some of the things they were feeling. And obviously, you know, having heart surgery, major surgery, I mean, that's a really big deal in and of itself. But just as we know, just some of the other things that were wrapped up in that, his work and, and that kind of stuff. And, and um, mentioned that a few days before, I don't know if a few days, but sometime before the surgery, they had a chance to get away uh, for a couple of days. And so they were at the coast. And Ron was telling me that he was, you know, walking along the beach and he got a phone call <clears throat> from someone. And a uh, person on the line just says, I want to help. And uh, Ron, it was funny, not funny, it was just, it was for me fascinating. It's better to watch Ron as he's retelling the story. And he got emotional at this point because for him that was the moment that God that he realized God's with me it's it's really it's ironic because in reality nothing changed he still had the surgery he still had the recovery all the stuff was still there but in that moment everything changed everything was different from that moment on because he knew God was with me Philippians 4.9 tells us that we can do everything through him who gives us strength. We need to live confidently knowing that God is with us. 
and that God is able. Lastly, another way that we can confront our insecurities is confront the lies and build your confidence through the word. Confront the lies and build your confidence through the word. Um, This past Friday, Betsy and I went to see Jumanji 3 in theater. Uh, Now, I'm going to talk about it, but I'm not going to do, I'm going to be really careful not to spoil anything. Um, So it's a great movie. I encourage you to see it if you like, you know, Jumanji 1 and 2. Uh, This this was pretty good. Um, But one of the main actors in there is Danny DeVito. Uh, and so if you know Dan Avila, kind of a short guy, can be kind of, uh, he's just a, a fantastic actor. Um, but in, in this movie, his character, somewhere in his past, he was really hurt. He was hurt in his past, and it's, it's filtered the way he's lived life ever since then. And so in the movie, his character is this really cranky, and Danny DeVito plays it really well, this cranky old guy. And he says on multiple occasions, growing old is the worst because he has these physical ailments and other things and other problems, and he's growing old is the worst. And, uh, but by the end of the movie, in you know, one of the closing scenes, he actually makes this comment, growing old is a gift. Each, in other words, he's saying each day is an opportunity. Now, he got to that point because he had to face all kinds of challenges throughout the movie. That's the part I'm not going to talk about because I don't want to spoil it if you want to go see it. Um, but there's all kinds of things that happen uh, throughout the movie. And he realized that almost everything he thought he knew, he was wrong. He had been hurt, and he wasn't willing to let go of the hurt in order to, to confront the lies that he had become to believe until he encountered all those different circumstances. See, here's the thing. Danny DeVito's character confronted his insecurities because of the circumstances forced him to. He was put in situations where he had no choice. You and I have a choice. We can choose to hold on to the deceptions that bind us, or we can choose to believe God's word. I think it's interesting that God never criticized Gideon for asking for those three miracles. He never said, really, you're going to do this again? He never put him down. He never condemned Gideon. He just responded. Part of it is, is this. This is just my, my opinion. I think there's a difference between testing God because you don't want to do something and testing God because you do. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we put it out there because I want to move it, but I'm afraid. I want to do this, but help me do this. Help, I believe, help my unbelief. As opposed to, yeah, I don't want to do this. I'm going to make up some ridiculous thing because I, I don't want to do it. Gideon wanted to believe. And I think God realizes that from us. And I think it's okay to question God. God never got upset. Gideon wasn't rebelling from God. He was afraid. So I think for us to be in a similar situation or circumstance, I think, God, I, I, need, I need more. I don't know that that's an, a lack of faith. It might be a lack of faith, but I don't know that that's always... I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think we all go through seasons where our faith isn't as strong as what we'd like it. And, and that's okay. God's, God, God's not, a, he's not, he's not offended by that. And he doesn't look down on us and he wants to help us. I, I've, I've used this analogy in the past, and, but it fits here as well. Is, you know, when, I, when our oldest, was, when, our, our, when he was first born and he's learning to walk, and he, he actually walked at eight months until really early. Um, 
But any child, they're learning to walk and they take those first steps and they fall down. You don't, you know, as a parent, you're like, you stupid kid, you can't even walk yet. I mean, we don't make fun of them. We don't ridicule them. It's like, you almost had it. Keep going. You can do this. You can, you know, and we're cheering for them. Come on, let me help you. And we're walking with them. And, you know, that's, that's God's position towards us. When we fall, it's not like he's getting ready to smack us and punish us and say, what a stupid kid, you can't walk yet. He knows we can't walk. That's, that's, he, he made us. What he's actually saying to us is, you can do this. Come on, get back up. Try again, you can do this. So when we say to God, I need help. I need, I need, a, I hear what you're saying. I, I'm struggling, help me. God, I don't think God, God ever turns his back on us in those situations. I love the verse or the song that Julia that sang here a little bit ago. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. And I'm more than, am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. And you say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I am yours. And I believe. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that powerful? Here's what I know. Confidence and boldness come as we take God's word and apply it in our lives. God is able. Don't allow your insecurities and your own fears to limit what God might want to be doing through you, in you, and through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for Gideon's story. For it's a story of all of us. We're human. And... Even though we have this confidence in our minds, we know our, we might have right theology, we might have it figured out. But Lord, when we're faced with realities, our humanness comes to the forefront and we need help. Father, I pray that as uh, we've already heard this morning, as Dave shared and as you've confirmed with others, Lord God, this idea of shackles being broken. Lord, there's this clear idea that you want to do more in us and through us than we currently know. Father, my prayer is that if there's anyone here who's struggling with that, that you would, in fact, show them, Lord God, what you want to do. Lord, that there would be that confidence, that there would be this engagement with you that would, Lord, go beyond anything they've ever had before. Father, may you show yourself strong and provide for them in very supernatural and powerful ways. God, I just thank you again that like Gideon, we can have this encounter with you that is life transforming. Lord, that you desire to use us to accomplish your purposes. So Lord, it's with that hope and ex expectation that we move forward, Lord God, with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I would... Um, I think for, as I was just praying about, you know, this part of the service, and I said, God, what is it, 
what, what is it you want to say? What is it you want to say to people? And a couple things came to my mind I was thinking about this. One is that the fact that kind of goes back to this idea with Ron and his walk on the beach. That phone call, I refer to those as road markers. It doesn't, it's not the destination. It doesn't solve everything, but it lets us know we're on the right path. And I think some of us, sometimes we just, we, don't, we understand that the answer might not be coming, but we need a road marker. We need something to say, God, I, I, want, I need to know that you're with me. I need to know that I'm on the right path and that we're okay. I still don't know what the answer is. I still don't know what the long term, but God, I just need to know that. If that's, if that's you this morning, I, I, I want to pray with you. And we're gonna, I'm going to pray again here in just a second. But we're going to pray that God would, in fact, give you a road marker. That's just a tangible way of you realizing, okay, that's it. And it will look different for all of us. What, what worked for Ron might not work for you, but what worked for you won't work for someone else. But it's just that internal knowing of what's going on. The second thing was this. In order to have that kind of engagement with God, you have to have surrendered your life to him. It's not, it's not this, uh, you know, where we kind of negotiate and I'll give you this and this. And this kind of engagement with God requires complete and total surrender of your life to him. It doesn't work when it's just a partial negotiation. So if you have not completely surrendered your life to Jesus this morning, this is your day. This is your day. And then ask God to also be in your life like he was in Gideon's life as well. Father, again, I ask and pray, Lord, as we pray, Lord, that some here who are needing a divine encounter with you. Father, it might be a, they need a road marker. If not the total solution, they need to know, Lord God, that there is something uh, that, that tells them that you're with them. So, Father, I don't know what that looks like. It may look different for each one, but I pray, Lord God, that, that, that some day this week, maybe even today, that there's something that happens in their life, whether it's a verse they read or in a conversation they have, or maybe it's a dream during the night, but something tells them that you're with them, that they're not alone, and that they have your power inside them. Father, for any who might be needing to or wanting to surrender their life to you completely and totally, Lord God, meet them right now, Lord, I pray. Meet them, Father, and touch their life and fill them, empower them, Lord Jesus, and my pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.